0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True
1: North. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show. You're tuned into Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show here on True North on, what is it, Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. Now, if you were tuning in from the very get-go, if you were quick on the uptake, if you were quick on the play button, you'll have noticed we finally fixed that awful loop that was like a second long that just by the end of it, it's a wonder anyone lasted through to the show. We got a new song, a new uh, waiting music, our own version of elevator music. So uh, thanks very much. I Trust me, I was with you because I have to listen to it on my end as well when I'm like trying to get into the zone to go on air. If you can't tell right now, we are live across the country, across the planet. Here on True North, we're going to be taking a couple of your questions and comments later on in the show. So if you want to share them along, you can do so in the Facebook comment section, in the YouTube comment section. If you leave a super chat on YouTube, we'll certainly make sure we see it as it goes right to the top of the pile. So do share your thoughts as the show progresses. I'm going to be speaking in a couple of moments time with Dan Kelly of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, because I, I want to talk about the transition to the post-COVID era, if such a thing is even possible, for businesses. And this actually follows along quite nicely with a discussion we had last week with Urban Student of the, I always get the name wrong, I think it's the Institute for 21st Century Questions. He was talking about the work that he and his team of scientists and policy experts have done to give the the government or roadmap just in a box tied up with a neat little bow to exit the pandemic. And as we're seeing, a lot of governments don't want to do this quickly. They don't want to do it in the uh, at the speed at which it should be happening and at the speed at which most Canadians want it. And this is exactly what we're seeing right now across the country. We've got lots of places like Alberta and Saskatchewan, which are effectively today restriction-free on the most intrusive restrictions. Like the vaccine mandates, they were gone a couple of weeks ago. Today, the mask mandates are gone. In Ontario, as of today, this is where I live, you have the vaccine passport four restaurants and gyms gone and it's easy for a lot of people to look at this and say great the grand reopening is upon us we are able to go out we don't have to fiddle around on our phones for the qr code or dig through our bags for the piece of paper that proves we're vaccinated that has its own qr code you could just go into a restaurant and sit down but it's not all that easy it's not over the restrictions have not ended. Just to look at Ontario for just a moment, we still do not have an end date for the mask mandate. Take a look at Ontario Premier Doug Ford still not giving an answer to this.
2: Still confident with the numbers that you're seeing, the decline in the case counts, the, the rise in vaccination
1: rates, tomorrow's. The end of the vax passport
3: are you hopeful that if by the end of this month we'll be away from mandatory masks in ontario as we've seen well,
1: your california and other yeah, organizations
3: first of all i love your tan so i wish i could get one I don't have to Wait. from california no no it's all, it's all good, it's all good. Any, anyways um no i'm right from the get-go i'm listening to the chief medical officer it's his advice when they're going to come off and and uh we'll wait for his advice and recommendations and once he gives the recommendations but uh, we'll, we'll be able to move forward. Uh, what I'm hearing over, over the next few weeks, maybe after March break, when the kids get back, but we'll, we'll see. I don't want to set a date. Um, you know, and there's no secret, there a no person I talk to who likes these masks, no one likes them, but uh, I'm gonna follow the advice, and they're, they're not far away. So let's, uh, let's all continue working uh, together. And, and you know what, I, I, I just want to unite this province. The divide this has created is terrible, and we just need to move forward, put this behind us, and everyone work together. I Just, uh, you know, with the global economy and how competitive we are, we need all hands on deck, we need everyone working uh, jointly together. We're going we're gonna to do fairly well, I'm confident on the economy.
1: So again, not giving an answer, he's being folksy and then has the goal to say his goal is to unite people, not divide people. Well, sure, you've united everyone now in in frustration with the never-ending mandates, the never-ending restrictions. And this is what's happening. So Ontario right now, you can go to a restaurant, you can go to a gym, you don't need your vaccine passport. But there are two things that are still at work that I want to talk about on this show. Number one is the voluntary dimension of this. Businesses can still choose to ask for your vaccine paperwork. They can choose to make vaccination status a requirement of you being a a customer and we're already seeing sub businesses are doing this. And then there is also another layer of restriction that exists irrespective of mask mandates and vaccine passports. And this level of restriction, this layer of restriction I think is an important one. And, And just Ontario is a great example of this. The Toronto zoo, which is a fantastic zoo. I've been there. They've got all sorts of great animals. It's mostly like a zoo outdoors So I was actually there at one particular lockdown, just walking around, and you didn't even need to wear a mask at the time, unless you were in an indoor area. There wasn't a vaccine passport. You could just go around and see the animal. You could see the cheetahs and the lions and the penguins and all of that. And I was looking at their Facebook page earlier, because someone sent this to me, and I want to read what the Toronto Zoo has said. Your Toronto Zoo will continue with all of our current health and safety protocols, including proof of vaccination and masking. We understand that high community vaccination rates continue to reduce the risk of serious illness in humans. Over the course of the pandemic, we have implemented a variety of health and safety measures, yada, yada, yada. Your Toronto Zoo's animals remain vulnerable to the risks of COVID-19 infection. And as such, we will continue to employ all measures that ensure their continued protection and well-being. Your zoo is working towards vaccinating our COVID-19 susceptible species because they believe that vaccination will provide a greater degree of protection and or reduce risks of serious illness. So we went from two weeks to flatten the curve to just a couple of weeks longer to when there's a vaccine to when 70% of the population is vaccinated to when 100% of the population is vaccinated to now when these zoo animals are vaccinated. <laughs> That's when you get to go back to normal now. When the zoo animals are vaccinated. So the cheetah has to be triple vaxxed, The penguin has to have their vaccine passport. Uh, they've got to put like a QR code under the penguin's wings now. If the penguin wants to go to the indoor enclosure i can only imagine because when i was at the zoo last i had just arrived this was not toronto this was the chicago zoo as i walked in the they had uh, some trainers that were feeding seals and they were reaching into a bucket and they were throwing whatever it is the seals eat I, i don't know the name of it i'm assuming some kind of fish and i'm only imagining now the seal if they want to go to eat at the zoo uh, takeout counter, the seal has to have the vaccine passport. So, so this is what the Toronto Zoo has done, that all of the animals have to be vaccinated before humans can go to the zoo without being vaccinated. And I've read stories of animals contracting COVID-19. So I know it is a, a real thing, but there's an absurdity to this, that the goalposts have moved yet again. Ontario removes the vaccine passport, but the zoo says, nope, not until all our animals are vaccinated. So the zoo animals now are going to be doing the double dose, triple dose, getting the boosters. Uh, you're going to have the lions looking down on the cheetahs because the cheetahs got AstraZeneca. And then you're going to get, uh, you know, some of the animals in the Africa exhibit that are still waiting to get their first doses. Well, all the animals in the North American exhibit have already gotten their triple and quadruple uh, doses. So it's a great uh, parallel for the world we're seeing now, where the Western world is getting booster after booster after booster, where some people are struggling to even get their main doses. Now, Again, I'm mocking this, but I I also think the Toronto Zoo should have the right to do this. The Toronto Zoo, if they believe this is what they want to do for whatever reason, for animal welfare or just because they don't want the unvaccinated mingling in the outdoor space where already you can't get particularly close to the zoo animals, that's the whole point of it. If they want to do it, have at it. And I do want to talk about this voluntary component here. I do want to talk about this voluntary aspect because I I think this is quite a significant development in the course of, I I think, a lot of the political discourse here. Should businesses have the right to decide for themselves to keep vaccine passports in place? Because there are a lot of people right now across the country who are uncomfortable with a world of no restrictions, people that have derived great meaning and great purpose. From there being COVID restrictions, people that I mean, I just know from looking at my Twitter earlier, people that are quite annoyed, quite annoyed by the fact that these vaccine passports are lifted because they like feeling special. They like being the in crowd. They like having access to the space that all these people they don't like don't have access to. And again, when I've talked about this issue, I'm always very transparent. I am vaccinated, but I am vehemently opposed to the vaccine passports. I believe this is something that needs to be for everyone a personal choice, not something that is coerced by state mandate, which is exactly what the vaccine passport system does. And it was originally presented as being about exposure. Remember, that was the goal. It's, oh, well, restaurants are high-risk environments. Gyms are high-risk environments. You have to make sure that only the vaccinated are allowed in these spaces because of transmission. And then once that changed, and especially in the Omicron wave, that was when there was a big transition there. And we started to see that, well, for the most part, anyone could transmit the virus. Then all of a sudden it became, well, the vaccine password was used to incentivize getting vaccinated. So there was a, a goalpost move, one of many that took place there. And now governments have basically put this right back in the hands of business to make the decisions for themselves. They haven't prohibited or outlawed vaccine passports. They've just said they're no longer required. And this is true in Alberta. This is true in Ontario. And I think it's pretty much true in any province that has lifted these. I want to bring into the discussion now Dan Kelly, who is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, because ultimately businesses have been through a huge ordeal in the last couple of years and are continuing to. So Dan, tell me here, generally speaking, how are businesses reacting in Ontario and elsewhere where the passports have lifted to this development?
2: There's there's strong majority support for getting rid of the vast majority of COVID rules, including vaccine passports. Uh, businesses, though at earlier stages, had mixed views on them. Some saw this as a way of ensuring that their customers felt confident to return to businesses Uh, Because, of course, we were told for two years that even looking in the direction of an unvaccinated person would would kill you. Uh, So 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 you can understand why business owners wanted to make sure that their customers were made as comfortable as possible. Now that public health officials are saying that the the system has no or limited value, um, there are still some business owners that that are worried that their customers are going to stay home because of what they've been told for two years. And and but I think those are very, very few in number. My estimate is that uh, in Ontario, at least, as of this week, 99% of businesses will ditch the vaccine passport system altogether. Maybe 1% of those that were required to use it will hang on to it. Those are probably institutions that have some close government connection In for the most part.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of this going on now. Where where I mean, I just mentioned before you came on, the Toronto Zoo has decided, for reasons of animal welfare, that it's going to keep the vaccine requirement in place in the short term, not necessarily indefinitely. I, I've heard of a couple of anecdotally private gyms that have decided they want to keep it in place, yeah. but for the most part, everyone wants to get rid of this. I, I remember I went to a, a restaurant to pick up takeout. This is a, a few months back and I was asked for my vaccine passport to go in and get takeout because the uh, hostess just didn't understand the rules properly and and the manager ended up intervening. And I mean, for me, I just, I had just popped out from home and I am vaccinated, but I just was kind of confused at at why takeout was this thing. So businesses have been forced into this situation of being enforcers, not just of masks, but of this thing. And I imagine it's not for many of them, a a fight they really wanted. The ones that I did see that welcomed it, they just only really liked it because it, they saw it as the only way up uh, out of lockdowns.
2: You're absolutely right. Look at the beginning of this. Remember when when we were in lockdown, a vaccine passport system was seen by many businesses as a better alternative than to serve zero customers. Serving, being able to serve, uh, you know, you know, at the time, fifty percent of your customers. Then later, eighty. Then perhaps up to ninety percent of your customers, rather than zero, is an easy choice for for a business. Uh, but now that we're at these uh, these high rates, now that we've gone through the Omicron wave, even public health officials are saying that the systems have limited value. The the main purpose, of course, as we all knew, was to try to push more people to become vaccinated mm-hmm. more than it was separating the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. That, uh, unfortunately, I think became a bit confused in the, co- in the, in the promotion of this. That that, uh, but, and, and of course, because we were told that for so long, some people have begun to believe that that, that it is just super dangerous and that they're dramatically more likely to catch COVID uh, in the room with an unvaccinated person. Look, I, as we know, uh, Omicron with estimates being that p- perhaps a quarter of the country has had Omicron in the last number of months, the vast majority of those people caught it from a fully vaccinated person caught it from another fully vaccinated person. So so the it didn't seem to make sense any longer. I'm pleased that public health officials are, are moving in that direction. The, the the challenge, though, for those businesses that do wish to maintain it because their customers may be demanding it or they personally feel in that, that in that direction, is that now they are on the hook themselves uh, to put this in without the legal authority to say that I'm just doing this because government forced me to. Uh, those businesses now are making the choice to do this, and if they promote that, they run the risk of having you know a whole bunch of people at their door protesting the fact that they are choosing to keep the system in place and. Uh, I, at this point, I think, look, businesses have been through so much. I think we should respect their rights to choose whatever wish that whatever direction they want on this, And I do believe that the vast majority of them will will ditch it. And as a result, unvaccinated Canadians will have loads and loads of choices of where to spend their dollars.
1: Yeah, I mean, I take the libertarian position on this entirely, that if a business wants to, for whatever reason, whether it's a philosophical reason or maybe it's just a personal comfort level, because again, business owners are people that have their own health challenges as well. If if they feel more comfortable, I don't think any business should be forced to open its doors for a, a population that is not comfortable serving in the sense of, of vaccination. So I, I guess the point that, that I would bring up here for a lot of people is that businesses in many cases, did not survive the first lockdown. Maybe they made it through the first and not the second and, and so on. And, and we heard some incredibly, incredibly stark predictions from the CFIB, I, I recall, early yep. on in the pandemic about the businesses that couldn't survive this. Where are we now on this? Do we have any accurate numbers of, of how many businesses just have not been able to get to this point?
2: There were numbers for 2020 uh, that about 60,000 businesses shut their doors as a result of damage that they took on during covid. The numbers are not final for 2021. Our estimate at CFIB is that the pandemic itself, the impact of the restrictions that came along with it will have taken out one hundred and eighty thousand small and medium sized companies. That's one in six small businesses gone forever as a result of the damage that they've taken on over the two years of, of covid. Uh, Much of that has not yet happened, though, that the challenge is that as we move into this recovery phase, even if these restrictions are are permanently uh, permanently behind us. And I hope that they are uh, many businesses are going to at this stage say, you know, I've, I've kept my business together with tape and glue or it's been frozen in time. And now it's thawing out. But I don't see a pathway back to profitability now. Customers are not flooding back. They're trickling back. I can't outrun my debt any longer. And as a result, I got to pack it in. That's that's I think what we're going to be seeing big time uh, in the months ahead. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. I'm hoping our prediction is 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 wrong and that there's more that it's a more modest effect. But our worry is that it could be really, really significant.
1: Yeah, and certainly in some contexts. I, I know in Europe, I, I heard of travel just absolutely booming, just hotels filling up and airlines filling up and all of that. I, I don't know if we are seeing that this week with restaurant reopening. You're shaking your head. So not no. not something we're seeing immediately.
2: No, not at all. Look, there have been many periods during COVID that we've had lighter levels of restrictions, right? I mean, in 2020, in the summer of 2020, and then the fall of 2021, there were You know, most of the restrictions weren't there. Passports weren't put in place at that stage either. And even then, for the last two years, at no point have more than 40 percent of small firms been back to normal levels of sales, even when restrictions were at their lightest. Uh, So, you know, when we've told consumers to stay home or you're going to die for two years it's understandable that many of these consumers are not going to be climbing out of their basements on day one. Look, I'm one, I'm one of the groups that the the minute something opened up, I'm there. I went to the gym day one. I went to the, I went back to, to mass on day one when that was allowed. But, but many, many people understandably after listening to the messages of public health officials for two years are nervous about doing that. And, and as a result, we're not seeing signs of a flood of customers.
1: So I guess just looking forward here, I mean, obviously, the thing that people can do is is go out and support their local businesses, support the restaurants. Uh, But at the same time, if you are someone who's also been out of work, or your own business has been shut down, you might not have the disposable income here. Are we at a point where the business community is looking for more support from the government? Or is it really just let's just get all the restrictions out of the way and, and see how this shakes out in the next few weeks?
2: For a period of time, I think we need to do both. Look, my organization for 50 years has railed against business subsidy programs. We find them ridiculous that we bribe Canadian businesses back with their own tax dollars. Uh, Business support programs make no sense whatsoever. But, But during the pandemic, we supported, in fact, urged governments to put in place subsidy programs for businesses because these were not subsidizing businesses because they were bad businesses. We were subsidizing them because governments took the view that we had to shut them down in order to protect society so it was deeply unfair to impose that cost mm-hmm. on the poor business that was just trying to make a living uh, as we come out of this though i think the time when we should end these programs altogether is when public health officials can look canadians in the eye and say it's time to go back to work you can go back please return to your offices please return to theater start to travel go to go go to wherever you would like to go when we can talk about not just ending the restrictions, but actually pivoting to encouraging people to get back to life. That's when these programs, I believe, should end. As it is stands right now, though, the most of the provincial programs are already done. The, those programs have, have expired long ago, Ontario included. The federal programs are based on business losses. They're only expected to be in place until May. And you only get a subsidy by as a percentage of the loss that you have incurred in real time. So. Those subsidy programs will phase themselves out uh, in the months ahead.
1: Dan, Kelly, president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Dan, thanks very much. Anytime. Uh, So like you heard from Dan there, most businesses, he says 99%. I mean, there's probably a margin of error that works either way there. But 99%, the vast majority of businesses have no interest in imposing vaccine passports without a legal requirement to do so. And that's important. And I believe that's going to happen. I also agree with Dan that businesses that want to should have the right to. And I posted on Twitter earlier, right? I should have, I don't have the tweet handy, but I basically said that the vaccine passport is dead in Ontario. If you're a business that wants to require vaccination, have at it, but don't expect a dime from me. I am fundamentally opposed to vaccine passports. They should never have existed at all. I'm not going to thank the government for getting rid of something that it never should have put in place. I'm just going to say, okay, moving on next. But for a business, if you choose that, I'm not talking about if government was forcing it. If you've chosen that now, I'm just not going to give you my business. It's that simple. Not because I'm not allowed to, but because I don't want to. I don't want to support that approach to business. And I had a lot of pushback from people. And when this has come up in the past, I've had it as well. People that don't like the libertarian position on that because they don't think that any vaccine segregation is at at all anything that should be allowable or legal. And again, I want to make a point here. I do not look to government to be the moral arbiter. I don't look to government to solve my problems. If I think something is wrong, if I think something is immoral, if I think something is unethical, I condemn that without wanting government to be the solution. So if I think it's wrong to segregate society based on the terms of vaccination, I'm not going to look to the government to prohibit that. I'm going to just say it's wrong myself, and I'm not going to give my money to places or my business to places that go along with that. And I actually think it's quite shameful that a lot of people who would not have hesitated to stand up for the right of, let's say, a Christian baker to not bake a gay wedding cake, or, a, uh, oh, I don't know, a Muslim baker to not bake an Israel cake, or something like that, people that would not have hesitated to stand up for those rights that when it comes to businesses that want to impose a vaccine passport are saying, nope, they shouldn't have the right. It should be illegal. It violates the charter. Well, no, it doesn't. The charter does not have standing against private businesses. The charter, you cannot take a charter challenge against a business because they don't owe you any liberty. It's the government that owes you liberty. It's the government that owes you freedoms, not private businesses. So no, you don't have a charter right to go into a store and demand service. There are human rights laws That try to assert that right. But those human rights laws are atrocious and are incompatible with a free society. A lot of the human rights laws we have on the books, all they do is target businesses that want to make decisions for themselves. When we should be as a society encouraging and protecting the right for businesses and individuals to make decisions for themselves, while also condemning and denouncing those decisions with which we disagree. And that's the vaccine passport problem. Now, I asked Premier Jason Kenney about this a few weeks back when Alberta was lifting its vaccine passport, and I asked him about whether businesses would retain the right to do this in the absence of a government mandate. This is that exchange. Good evening, Premier. For people that own businesses that are comfortable with requiring proof of vaccination, will they still have the right, in your view, under Alberta law to impose a vaccine requirement for customers moving forward? Yes, they'll have that right under law.
0: And I guess I would just say that's a matter of, uh, of the free market, Andrew. If a business chooses to have um, a, a policy of that nature, then um, that may, may may appeal to a certain kind of customer and it may turn away other kinds of customers. That's a commercial decision. A- at the end of the day, um, I would love it if we could move away from all of this uh, and, uh, and no longer have to produce the QR codes. Uh, that could get us past the problem you've raised. But the, the paradox or the problem is that we have a lot of Albertans who, especially during the cold winter here, uh, love traveling and at uh, the end of the summertime too and as long as there is a federal requirement for provincially issued proof of vaccination we have to offer that as a service and i gotta tell you even then even if we weren't issuing qr codes um, i suppose a vendor could um going back to the pre-covid days you know uh, just just like when you were uh, visiting certain countries uh, they want to see if you've been vaccinated against the uh yellow fever and you have to produce these uh, slips that prove that prove vaccination. So governments will always be issuing some kind of proof of vaccination. That's just part of our responsibility in the healthcare system, and how people use that is their choice.
1: Now, obviously, Alberta has since uh, abandoned the QR code, which is something that we need to see other governments doing because that's been uh, really the infrastructure that allows, in some cases, businesses to do this. But as Jason Kenney said, again, a business could say, we want to see your CDC card in the US, or a business could say, we want to see your Ontario immunization slip that you got. And again, I support businesses having autonomy for two reasons. One is just a, a philosophical reason. I demand consistency of myself and of others here. And if I would support the right of, again, the Christian baker to not bake the gay wedding cake or the Muslim baker to not bake the Israel cake or whatever the case is, that is something that I have to carry here. Why would I want to let government force a business to serve a clientele it does not want to? Again, that does not mean supporting the decision that's made. That doesn't mean supporting that form of discrimination. It means allowing businesses to make the decision themselves. And the second is entirely practical. It's a pragmatic concern. If you support a one-size-fits-all government-imposed solution, that's not going to be your position. That's not going to be my position. The one-size-fits-all position is vaccine passports for everyone. If it's for everyone or for no one, it's going to be for everyone. So fundamentally, we are going to be, as people that stand up for liberty, as I'm assuming a lot of you, perhaps most of you tuning in are, people who stand up for liberty are going to be on the losing end of this if we don't allow that individual choice. And more importantly, choice is exactly what we should be striving for. I was down in Florida a couple of months back, and Florida has no mask mandate, no vaccine passports. Uber still has a vaccine mandate. So when you're getting into the Uber, you need to wear your... uh, Sorry, not your vaccine mandate, your mask. So when you're getting into the Uber, you need to wear your mask. And you know what? When I walked around in Florida, I probably saw maybe 15% of the people there wearing masks. Now, for the most part, I'd say they were probably the Canadians. (laughs) There was that one Montreal Gazette columnist that went down to Florida and was mortified that they were also free. Like He wanted to export Quebec's COVID insanity to Florida, which is exactly where people fleeing COVID insanity tend to go. But people made the choice for themselves. And you know what? I didn't see anyone harassed for wearing a mask. I went into a pharmacy because I had to get a COVID test to come back home. The pharmacy had a mask mandate. I needed to get the test. So I I went along with it. If there was a restaurant or a store that had required me to wear a mask in there, I probably wouldn't have, because I would have said, all right, if that's the clientele they want, I'm going to go somewhere else because I support freedom. I support life beyond this. But freedom has to go both ways. Freedom has to extend in both directions. And again, I want to make a point here. The issues right now we see to the vaccine mandate and mask mandate discussions are not coming from businesses that in very small numbers might be putting these things forward voluntarily. It's all of the other restrictions elsewhere that still remain in place imposed by governments. Just take a look at universities Universities in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta went along with vaccine mandates and now in the absence of a government directive are still upholding those. My alma mater, the University of Western Ontario, is keeping its vaccine mandate in place. Ottawa University, Carleton, other schools as well are even without a government directive saying we are not readmitting any students that we said couldn't come to class because of our vaccine mandate. They're keeping them in place and who knows what they'll do come the fall term in September. So that's a big problem. And these are government institutions. These are public universities, government institutions. You also have employer vaccine mandates that are on the books that are not going away. And then you have the federal mandates. And remember, the trucker convoy, which carried itself across the country, galvanized the nation, galvanized the world. We have an American trucker convoy right now that's been inspired by the Canadian protests. They were going after the federal vaccine passport for travel and the federal vaccine mandate for getting on an airplane, for getting on a train. Those still remain in place, and the federal government has given zero indication of when those are going to be dropped. Uh, Candace Bergen, the leader of the Conservatives, had an exchange with Justin Trudeau about this in question period, and listen to the non-answer.
2: leader of the opposition the Prime Minister to pick from. Today is March 1st and as of today, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, Ontario and Nova Scotia, they've all lifted their vaccine mandates oh. and other <laughs> suit. Why? Because it's safe to do so and they care about mental health and their economies. Here at the federal level, we have a Liberal government that is dragging their knuckles because they've become so backwards and regressive in their thinking when it comes to the need for restrictions. When we Liberals come out of the dark ages and see that vaccine mandates are so yesterday. When are they going to? Right honourable prime minister, speaker, on this side of the house, we ground our decisions in science. Uh, we continue uh, to believe uh, that keeping Canadians safe is extremely important. But I will highlight that Canada has made significant movements uh, on restrictions of the borders uh, to enable for more Canadians to travel uh, safely and less onerously when they come home. And we will continue to look carefully at what more measures uh, we can uh, lift or move forward on to ensure that Canadians uh, continue uh, to be safe while getting back to the things we love. Uh, Canadians expect their governments to keep them safe. That's exactly what we're doing. Here we
1: Uh, So uh, science says you should reopen, drop all the restrictions. When are you going to reopen and drop all restrictions? Answer, well, we're going to keep Canadians safe. Well, that's, yeah, but you could keep them safe by dropping these mandates. If we know that the vaccine requirements, especially in the Omicron era, did nothing to reduce transmission, but were only just about punitive measures to incentivize vaccination, can we not accept that we are at the saturation point in Canada? No one who is unvaccinated is unvaccinated by anything other than choice at this point. It's not about opportunity. Even with coercion, even with pressure, people have made their choices. Conversely, people have made their choices to get a third shot, to get a fourth shot, because they wanted the protection that being vaccinated afforded them. Great. Why can they not intermingle in society? And air travel is a significant one here. The border restrictions are significant. Because a lot of the time when the government talks about reopening and lifting restrictions, it's only for that large chunk of the population that is vaccinated. The unvaccinated sector is not getting to benefit from the spoils of reopening. They're not able to get on a plane and go to Banff to enjoy time at a restaurant without the vaccine passport there because they can't actually get to Alberta unless they want to drive across the country. And again, for all the people that are saying, well, it's a choice, they have a choice. Well, it's not a choice if government has a gun to your head metaphorically or otherwise. It's not a choice if government is forcing you to make it, if there's only one correct choice in the state's eyes. So for all that we talk about reopening, and yeah, it's good. It's good that we have some of these crumbs of liberty being handed back to us. But for all that anyone talks about that, it's important to note that this is not over, not by a long shot. And for all the people that looked at the trucker convoy and said, why are you at? Why are you on Parliament Hill? All of these things are provincial. The provinces are already reopening. Well, here we are. After most provinces have gone and said, we're dropping this, we're dropping this, we're dropping this. What do we have as being left? Federal government mandates. Federal government mandates, which Justin Trudeau was not even giving the false hope of, yeah, it's coming soon, stay tuned. That clip I played earlier of Ontario Premier Doug Ford, he said at least, yeah, yeah, we're going to have something for you shortly about masks. Trudeau is, well, we're looking into it. I, I think he would be fine keeping it in place indefinitely. I don't think Justin Trudeau cares if the vaccine mandate for air travel ever goes away because I think he fundamentally has shown us what he believes about unvaccinated people. Oh, they're racist, they're misogynist, they're neo- miso- I don't even know what word that was, misogynists. I was trying to do misogynist and misogynistic and I ended up just making up a word. But you know what? If uh, Justin Trudeau can do it, I can too. Uh, so all of that is because he wants to punish these people. It's like when Emmanuel Macron in France had said his goal was to Day the unvaccinated, to just piss them off. That's kind of Justin Trudeau's MO as well. So I think he would be content never letting someone who's not vaccinated against COVID get on a plane. I think that's fine. And I think for the most part, he might actually have courts that uphold that, just given the fecklessness of the Canadian judiciary in many cases. So whenever anyone says we've reopened, the restrictions are lifted, I don't think people should poo-poo it as though it's not happened. I don't think we should say it's nothing because it's not nothing. It is something. It is something that as of today, an unvaccinated person can go to a restaurant in Ontario. Again, it may be a very low bar, but it is something. It is a bar that's not at least on the ground. Or that in Alberta, you can, if you're unvaccinated, go to a restaurant, go to a gym, not wear your mask. That's a right you have now. It's a right you never should have lost. So this is not nothing, but it is just one small subset of a much bigger battle, which is still underway. And that's the problem. We we as a society tend to move on from things very quickly. Uh, Let's talk about the trucker convoy just for a moment. Now, obviously what's happening in Ukraine right now is quite significant. It's globally relevant. It does affect Canada, even if Canada is not itself at war and not party to this conflict. But I bring up the trucker convoy because most people would say that this is over. A lot of the provincial mandates have lifted. A lot of the truckers have been able to get their trucks back from the impound lot. Although I don't know if you saw the video, uh, some of the windows on these trucks were left down. So they were filled with snow. Equipment was ruined. Some of them weren't starting. So there were some significant challenges at the impound lot. But nevertheless, truckers went back. They were able to pick up their trucks. Bank accounts of people like Tom Marazzo, who we had on the show, have been unfrozen. You may think, okay, great, it's done. It's done. It's over. The Convoy won. I wrote a column about this in my Substack the other day, which I would encourage you to subscribe to at andrewlawton.substack.com. And I said the Convoy won because it revealed the lengths through which the government would go to stop those who stand up for freedom. It didn't win because it got all of its goals. It achieved all of its goals. Not at all. It won because it sent a message that I think people needed to see and I think people needed to hear. But the reason I bring up the convoy is I want to share this story with you. I'm just going to, I have so many tabs open when I do this show. A lot of the money, even without the emergency, is still frozen. This is quite significant here because we knew that there, was, there were millions of dollars donated to the trucker convoy. There were about 10 million US dollars donated via GiveSendGo. There was a million dollars of GoFundMe money that was released before GoFundMe had uh, refunded everyone and that money was frozen. There was also a significant sum in crypto. million total is what uh, one estimate said here between crypto and cash donations. Now, there is no emergency. It was the Emergencies Act which authorized freezing this money. But now they're deferring to that Ontario court order that took place before the Emergencies Act was invoked. They've extended this injunction and have also expanded it to include cryptocurrency. So this injunction now affects what they say is $20 million in assets, which they're preventing to going to the truckers who have had to deal with fuel costs, food costs, time off work, And they're doing it pending this class action lawsuit that was filed initially to get the honking to stop in downtown Ottawa. And Paul Champ, who's the the lawyer for the class, the lawyer for uh, the class, whose uh, lead plaintiff is Zexy Lee, an Ottawa public servant, uh, he has said that he has gone around himself and played private investigator and checked on, I think it was 400 different trucks, 400 different trucks that he's identified here. And I'm just trying to find the exact number. It might have actually just been about 400. It might have just been an imprecise number. But this class action is seeking $306 million in damages for people living in Centertown and the Byward Market in the Sandy Hill area, which is all in in downtown Ottawa. And they've now gotten a judge to freeze convoy donations pending this. Now, I don't know how long this is going to take, but they're still going after the money. They're still going after the convoy's money, even without the emergency which was what let the government go after individual bank accounts. So if you donated to the convoy and you thought, great, well, now my money is making it to the truckers, it's still not. And even crypto. Now, interestingly enough, government has no idea whose crypto wallets are connected to this. Now, I actually got into crypto, incidentally. I'm going to do a, a probably a longer show about it in the future. i not hugely into it. But when the government was going around and systematically freezing hundreds of bank accounts, I said, you know what? Maybe this idea of something that the government can't access is valid. So I I have like nothing in there. I've got like $100 worth of Bitcoin in this uh, little Bitcoin wallet that I had. But the reality is it was for me an experience because I've avoided it just because I don't understand it. And the government, that the government is so hell-bent on wanting to access and freeze and control people's Bitcoin wallets is kind of the point of Bitcoin. The people didn't want government to be able to tap into this part of them. And we've seen in the last few weeks what happens when government has just unchecked power over your bank accounts and over the, the banking sector in general. But this court order is extending to it, and they're actually trying to get any convoy organizer to swear a statement that says they've not done anything to hide or move around or get rid of any crypto donations. Now, I'm assuming, and again, I have no inside knowledge on this, I'm assuming that most of this money has already been moved to avoid this very problem. I heard from one source that a lot of it was deliberately being kept out of the country so it wouldn't be controlled by these court orders. But again, if this money is being kept out of the country... That also means it's not making it to the truckers. And those were the people that this money was there to support, individuals across the country and around the world that wanted to give $10, $20 to uh, support a trucker getting a few liters of diesel so so that they could keep up the good fight for freedom. And even again, with Justin Trudeau's phony emergency gone, this money is still being frozen. So it's not over. And by the time people move on from these things, you may forget about these battles, but for the people in the trenches on them, they are still underway. We'll, of course, keep you updated as this goes on. And again, I'm not ignoring what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, but we also can't, at the expense of things that are still happening here, divert all of our attention there. So we're going to do a balance on this show. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program today. We'll be back tomorrow for a special edition of the show. I won't tell you exactly what's happening because if I do that, I jinx it but it is going to be one you'll want to see and of course lots more at true north if you want to contribute to the work we're doing head on over to donate.tnc.news we'll talk to you soon folks thank you god bless and good day
0: thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news